why it's important everybody to have one because it has some fill in the blanks that you'll want to follow along with. But uh, we are, you should be on lesson six, what our faith says about God. We've done a number of things through our study so far. We've talked about the fact that it is an essential part. Faith is the essential part of our Christian life, not just how we are saved, but also how we live the Christian life. That faith is essential if we're going to please God, that whatsoever is not a faith is sin. That whenever Jesus comes back, he's going to look to find faith on the earth. The work of God is faith. God's hall of fame, those people are all there because they were people of faith. And faith is essential for the Christian experience, Christian life, Christian journey. Then we said that faith was, was one of the few words in the Bible defined by God. I mean, a lot of words are described, but very few words are defined by God. And God chose to define the word faith in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Substance being the title deed of ownership, the assurance of ownership. Ownership of what? Things hoped for. What are things hoped for? Those things, as we talked about, hope is that which is assured, that which is guaranteed. The one thing that you know that is assured and guaranteed are the promises of God. Whatever God promises, God does. And so we talked about the fact that we have the title deed of ownership of the promises of God He gives to us. And, and then we talked about it's the evidence, our conviction of things unseen. Faith opens up a whole world to you and me that we never knew before. That's the spiritual world. That's that world that the unseen eye cannot grasp and hard to comprehend except by faith. But whenever we exercise our faith and have faith, we realize that God is real and He's a spirit. And all who worship Him worship Him in spirit and truth. And there are angels out there in the heavenly realms working. And the spiritual world is really more real than the physical world because it's going to last longer than the physical world. And when the physical world was created by the spiritual world, all of those things we come to understand because we have faith. Then we moved on and we began to talk about the fact of how to receive a word from God. It's not faith is based upon the promises of God. Remember, it is the substance of things hoped for or the assurance of the promises of God. So do you just take your Bible, open it up, put your finger down and say, well, God's got to do this because he wrote it in his word. No. We talked about that in great detail. We talked about the fact that this is the logos of God. This is the written word of God. It is inspired, I believe it, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, it is the, every word of it is true. But it's the logos. It's what's written. Whenever it talks about the promises of God, it's talking about the rhema, or when that word comes alive. As you read the logos, the word of God, God will bring His Word alive to your heart. He will speak to your heart. And what He does in relationship to that is if you have a need in your life and you're needing for God to work, you're searching out for a promise from God. If you're seeking a word of direction from God, you're seeking out a promise from God. If you're having something that you've got to believe God for out there, it takes the impossible and, and it takes a spiritual, supernatural work to happen. You're going to need a promise from God. 
And that promise from God is the rhema of God. Remember there in the passage in Romans when it says, Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word, the rhema of God. So when you receive the rhema of God, He births faith into your life to believe that. So it's so very, very important to be receiving a word from God, the promise of God. I I say this again to you just to remind you, that all of us in our lives should be in, in one of these stages. As a matter of fact, in each of these stages, we should be facing situations where we are looking for the promise from God. We've got things in our life where we're needing for God to show up. You say, well, I don't have anything going on in my life. Do you know anybody lost? you know anybody who needs Jesus? Well, well why are you not believing for God to save them? Why are you not asking God to do that and asking God for a promise about their salvation. You are? Well, Miss Ann, well, I'm glad you're doing that. Well, see there, you're finding promises. That's good. You've learned something. You're hanging in there. (laughs) We ought to be looking for the promises of God because of a situation. Or we ought to be living in that promise. In other words, waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. Because they're not always fulfilled immediately. They can be years between when you get a word and whenever the reality happens. Or you ought to be celebrating the fact that God has been faithful to His promises. We should always be somewhere in that journey, somewhere in that place of of whether we're looking for the promise, waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, or celebrating the promise. And last week we talked about if you remember, we talked about the different levels of faith and what is really biblical faith. You remember that? And we talked about that there are three things, and it was in the story of Lazarus, Martha and Mary. We talked about they exemplified three levels of faith. Only one of them is really biblical faith. The first level of faith was that they believed that God... That he can, all right? I, I, I was going to see, boy, I, I, y'all look like the math class that nobody studied for, huh? Okay, that God believes that God can do all things, all right? The second thing, they believe that God will one day. Sometimes he'll finally do that. Well, those both are important things to believe, but those are not really biblical faith. Biblical faith is believing that God is doing it right now. He is doing it. Why? Because He said He is. You may not see it with your eyes, but He is working, and He is moving, and He engineers the situations in in life to get what He promises to be a reality, for that to be fulfilled. And that's what biblical faith is all about, believing that God is. And remember, we talked about that whenever you, whenever you have got to that place where God gives you that promise and you begin to believe that God is doing it right now, you're no longer asking God, God, do this. God, I need you to do this. But we're what? We're thanking Him. We're thanking Him because He's doing it right now. Boy, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. I don't see it. I don't see it in my eyes, but I know you said you're doing it. And I know you're doing it. I can't wait till I see it in my eyes. can't wait till I, I experience it, you know, and I'm looking forward to that. Now, hold on just a second there. That's a good place to stop there for just a minute, just as a point that is added to that. Do you think you're always going to see what God promises to you? No. 
If you don't, if you don't understand that, go to, to Hebrews 11. And it tells you that there were people who believed who did not see, they did not see the promise fulfilled. But does that mean that God doesn't come through? No. God's promises are timeless. He will come through even if you don't get to see it. One day in glory, you'll know it happened. Amen? You'll get to know and see how God did that. So that's where we are. We've come up to this point now of what our faith says about God. I've told you each week, though, I've told you a story about a journey of faith. I want to tell you a story tonight. This story has to do with a little small church, well, a somewhat small uh, church. It was a small church in Mississippi. It was in Lake Mississippi. I don't know if you've ever been through Lake Mississippi, but if you've been on Interstate 20 and you've gone from Meridian to Jackson, you'll see a sign that says Lake Mississippi, right between those two larger cities. Well, I preached a revival there about seven years ago. And whenever I preached a revival, I, I came to know about some of the situation of the church. They were a, they were a uh, small church, but they were growing, and they were reaching people, but they were really hindered. They had a little small worship service, and they packed it out, you know, but, but they needed to expand. They needed to grow. And uh, the problem was that some people, they were landlocked. All they had was their little building and another education building, and they had where the pastorium was up the hill a little ways. They had that. And they were landlocked with, with land by one family. And that family had been a member of the church years before, but got mad at the church. And so they refused to sell them any land. I mean, you're talking about in the, in the backwoods of Mississippi, and they'd offer them up $30,000, $40,000 an acre trying to get, get them to sell land. They, won't, they weren't going to sell that land for anything. And so they were totally... Totally landlocked, not knowing what they're going to do. And they tell me about that. So one of the messages I preached uh, in that revival was about faith and about believing the promises of God and getting the promises of God and watching God do what only God can do. And where it seems as though it's impossible, when you believe God and trust God for what He says He'll do, He can do the impossible. Well, I preached that on one of the nights of revival. We walked over to the pastorium, and I was staying with the pastor. And before we ever went to bed that night, there was a knock on the door, and a man in their church came over, and he, and God, he said, God just got a hold of my heart. And he says, he said, God's wanting to do miraculous things here, and I believe the promises of God, and he shared with the pastor. And he said, I want to be the, one of the first people who invest in that. And he wrote out a check for $10,000, $10,000 in order to do that. Now, they decided that what they were going to do, they were going to slow anything down, so they're just going to tear the pastorium down and build something there and, and let the pastor live somewhere else. But the people just got all behind that, and they just started believing God for what God was going to do, and they started praying and claiming the promises of God. And miraculously, that family, who for years and years and years would not sell that land, came up and agreed to sell them some land that they could have it. And they went and they took that land. They built a new sanctuary. Seats probably four or five hundred people. And, uh, and man, they're, they're doing great. Went beyond that. They built a Christian Life Center and a fellowship hall. And they probably run about 300, 350, 400. I'm in the country now. I'm talking about it. It's, it's in, in the backwoods country. And they, it cost about, the whole projects and all, cost about $2.1 million. Now, these are, these are farmers and and school teachers and stuff, they'll have a lot of rich people there, but they had a lot of faithful people. And so 
What had happened is they'd gotten to a point where they were close to like $200,000, $300,000 to getting it paid off. And one man just told the pastor, I believe the Lord wants us to get this paid off, you know. And, and so whenever they got together, they, somebody gave some money, somebody matched the money. They got up on one Sunday, and one Sunday morning, the pastor got up, and they had been given, they'd been, their pastor had been there for like 25 years, and they'd given him an anniversary gift of like $10,000 back in the fall. And he and his wife prayed about it, and the Lord told them that they were supposed to give that back to the church to help pay off their indebtedness. And all they owed at that point, I think they owed $200,000 at that point, but pastor got up and said, God wants us to do this, what I want to see by my anniversary date, which is a month or so away. I'd love to see us have this paid off, and we're going to give back to the church our gift. Well, by the time he finished uh, saying that, somebody, other man got up and he said that he, would, he was going to give $10,000 and somebody else... Before they left the service that morning, uh, that was totally paid for. The whole, the whole building was paid for. It was, it was paid off. So how I know about that is they called me about two months ago and invited me to come back and to preach at the note burning, where they're burning the note because I had preached for them and helped them in regard to believing God and watching God do it miraculous. And some of that's amazing, some amazing parts. It's just a brief story I'm telling so I was supposed to go gone there in September to preach for them, but then COVID happened and they had to shut that down, so they haven't had the note burning yet. Hopefully we'll still get to do that sometime. But what a neat thing is here's a little country church out away from anywhere who faced impossible situations that this family is not going to sell them any land and no way they're going to get it. They get the land bought, they build a sanctuary, they build a Christian life center, and they get it all paid for in a matter of seven years, and they're seeing people come to know Christ and young families there and reaching people for God. All because they believe the promises of God. They stepped out in faith and believed what God was doing and, and went out and did those things that God wanted to do, and, and God moved heaven and earth. He, God has no problem doing those kind of things. All he, all he waits for is for somebody to believe Him. Right? One of my favorite verses of Scripture is where it says, for the eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Now think about that picture. God, it says, his eyes search to and fro. It's like a searchlight. God's in glory in heaven and he's like a searchlight. He's looking all over the world. And when he finds somebody whose heart is perfect towards him, who seeks after him, who wants to do his will, that he, he finds them and that he works miraculously to show himself strong on behalf of that person. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to hold my hand. Lord, here I am. Amen. Don't you want to be that kind of person? Don't, well, what's your job? Have your heart perfect towards him. Have your heart completely towards him. And whatever he's asking you to do, whatever he tells you to do, you're willing, you're willing to do it. Willing to claim the promises of God and that God will work. There's so much God wants to do beyond what he's able to do because there's so few of us who are willing to believe him and to have faith in him. All right, let's look at this now tonight, This what our faith says about God. Look at that first paragraph. Receiving a word from God is absolutely essential in order to live by faith. We search for a promise from God's word, which will speak to the need, 
challenge our desire at that time in our lives. Okay, get the picture. You've got this need, you've got a challenge, you've got a desire, you've got something going on, and you're searching for a promise from God's Word for that promise at that given time. Once the promise is received, we begin to live by faith. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. So we begin to journey by faith. Now, what is faith in this, in this reality? It's a statement, when we're talking about what it says about God, it's a statement of reality. Write that right that word. It is a statement of reality. When you have faith in God, you are saying by your actions, you believe that God is real. You believe He's real. You believe He's there in heaven. You believe He fills the earth. You believe He has all that is needed. He, he's God, okay? That's the most important thing that faith says, I believe that he's real. I believe he's there. All right? Hebrews 11.6 states that the most elementary aspect of faith is to believe that God is. It says, For he who comes to God must believe that he first of all is, and then next, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So when you by faith come to God, you are saying, I believe that you are. I believe that you are. Now, for us sitting here on a Wednesday night, many of us have been believers for some time. Hopefully you've been in Bible study and Sunday schools and been in the Word of God. That's just kind of a normal thing. You just, you just know, well, I, yeah, I know God is. I know God. But for somebody who's outside the kingdom of God, somebody who doesn't have a relationship with God, somebody who never prays, somebody who is out there apart from faith, they don't know that God is real. They don't even know if there is a God. They don't understand that. But faith says, I believe that He is. Look what it says next. Many people live life without acknowledgement that God exists. These individuals do not necessarily say that there is no God. For Psalm 14.1 says that the fool says in his heart there is no God. But these individuals simply walk through life seeking answers from their own abilities or circumstances which come their way rather than seeking answers from God who exists and who created them. In other words, a, a person is not believing in God if whenever they face situations and circumstances of life, they're trying to find the answers in themselves. They're trying to engineer and they're trying to fix it. Or they're trying to get the circumstances of life to work in such a way so that they can work that out. Their thought is not God. Their thought is not that God is there and that God cares. All right? And whether you realize it or not, the world is filled with those people. All right? Most people that you encounter in life, they're filled with it. Now, they're not going to come up to you and say, no, I don't believe there's a God. But even if you say... I believe there's a God, but you don't act like there's a God, or you don't relate to that God who is, then how are you really saying that, that God is there? You understand what I'm saying? It's your life and how you function by that. And the vast majority of people live life without God, without acknowledging that He is there. People of faith, though, realize that God exists and that His reality makes all the difference in life's situations. 
Faith causes them to acknowledge that God is real. Aren't you glad when you face circumstances in life, you don't have to bear that alone? You know, I've heard people say, well, man, I tell you what, Christianity and God's just a crutch for y'all. Well, when you can't walk, a crutch is pretty good, amen? I mean, he, he, he's, he's more than a crutch to me, for me. He's, he's my spiritual ventilator. I mean, he's my breath. He's my life. I, I can't make it without him. But I never was intended to. I was created to have him in my heart. Sin took him out of my heart, and I'm not real until I got him back into my heart. Okay? But people of faith say, God, faith causes them to acknowledge that God is real. Now, listen to some verses of Scripture. Genesis 26, 28 through 29. Abimelech talking to Isaac. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Here's a, a pagan man seeing Isaac in his life. We see that the Lord has been with you. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Look at this one. Genesis 41, 39. Pharaoh to Joseph. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. Who showed him the answer to those interpretation to those dreams? Who, who showed it? God. Who did Pharaoh say showed Joseph? God. Pharaoh realized that, that God is real because Joseph revealed to him that God is real. Joseph didn't do it on his own. He did it because God did it for him and through him. Look at 1 Samuel 17, 45-46, David to Goliath. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you, how? In the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord, not him, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Who's going to win the battle? God. What's the purpose of the victory? Not to talk about how great David was but that all the earth would know that there is a God in Israel. Faith says that God exists. Daniel 2, 28 and 47. However, there is a God in heaven. This is Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel. Daniel says, There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has made known to Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. That's Daniel talking to Nebuchadnezzar. There is a God where... In heaven, he's the God of all gods, and he reveals mysteries. And he's going to tell you, Nebuchadnezzar, what that mystery is. Listen to what the king says. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. He revealed what? God is real. Who knew that? Nebuchadnezzar. I'll tell you one of the most interesting, this is a side note, this is extra for you. One of the most interesting people in all the Bible to read is Nebuchadnezzar. Just go read about Nebuchadnezzar. God worked on Nebuchadnezzar. I, I don't know, I think, I think Nebuchadnezzar 
Finally, he may have gotten saved. I'm not sure. I mean, when he's out there eating grass like a cow, you know, for a while, and then he gets restored and he, and he, he worships God, uh, some things happened. He, he saw more things in his life and his experiences with Daniel, the, the three Hebrew children, and, and all that. He just saw, God just revealed himself to Nebuchadnezzar in a great way. To the point Nebuchadnezzar is saying, uh, Surely your God is a God of gods, Lord of lords, revealer of mysteries. Look at Daniel 3, 17 through 28. Three Hebrews and the Nebuchadnezzar. This is what three Hebrew children said. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. That was their word. Nebuchadnezzar, whenever they came out not even smelling like smoke, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servant, who put their trust in who? In him. Why did they put their trust in him? Because he is real. Faith says God is real. He's a reality. Second thing. It's also faith is a statement of authority. Write that down. Faith in God is a statement of authority. God's authority. Not our authority, God's authority. That's what it says. The reality of God is one thing. But understanding that God is not only real, but that He has authority over all things is the second level of faith. A person of faith knows that God is all-powerful and all-knowing, which means that He can do anything. Remember we talked about that. Second level of faith is God can do anything, can He? There is never a situation, need, or challenge which is beyond the scope of God's reach or ability. Would you please underline that statement? I want to read it again to you. You need to know this and bank on this. There is never a situation, a need, or a challenge which is beyond the scope of God's reach or ability. There's nothing you face that's bigger than God. There's nothing you face that's more challenging so God can't handle it. Your God is big enough. He has the authority to handle it. All right? This is what it says right here. Since God has authority over all things, then a person of faith approaches God with what? With all things. Please circle those two words. What do you approach God with? Well, I approach God with the big things. Well, do you know what your problem is? Usually the little things. <laughs> and you know why the little things are your problem? Because you don't approach God with the little things. We're to approach God with what? All things. With all things. Some people believe that God is real, but they have no concept of His authority and power. To such people, God simply sits up on His throne in heaven, uninvolved in the activities of life. They think that even if He knows about circumstances, He is either too busy or incapable of changing the way life is. It's called deism. Deism is the idea that God created everything. He set the earth on its axis. He started spinning and he backs up and watches what happens. But he's not personally involved in the world. He's not personally involved in the circumstances of life. We don't believe that. We've got a God who is at work. 
Amen? A God who holds all things together. A God who is busy to carry out His will and purposes and to work on behalf of His children. So we cannot be those people who feel that God is too busy or incapable of changing the way of life. Our faith says He's not only real, He has authority to change anything. Our exercise of faith in God says to God and to the world that we believe He has all authority. We praise God when we confess and live in relationship to God as a God of power and authority. Listen to Luke 7, verses 7 through 9. This is a centurion who was talking to Jesus. But just say the word, the centurion said. Jesus was coming to his house. He said, no, you don't need to come to my house. (laughs) I'm not worthy of you coming to my house. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For indeed, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the multitude that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. What did the centurion say? I'm a man of authority, under authority. All I have to do is speak it. And when I speak it, it gets done. Because I have authority. He he said to Jesus, you have authority that my my servant is sick, but you have authority over sickness. And all you have to do is speak the word. You don't have to come. You don't have to get near him. Just speak the word, and your authority, he will be well. Now, what great faith. I told you earlier in in this study... It says there's two places that Jesus was awed about faith. One was right here, and the other was the lack of faith in Nazareth. Whenever he was amazed and awed at their lack of faith. Look at Exodus 15, 6. Song of praise after the Red Sea. Thy right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. 1 Chronicles 29, 11, and 12, David's prayer. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Thine is the dominion, O Lord, and thou dost exalt thyself as head over all. And in thy hand is power and might. What a prayer, amen? (laughs) We need to learn that prayer. And he's just saying, you are powerful, you are awesome, you are great. He's just bragging on God. Look at Psalm 106, 8, David's confession. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Make his power known. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus to the disciples. Listen to these words. All authority. How much authority? All authority has been given to me, where? In heaven and where? And on the earth. All authority has been given to me, and and I'm imparting that authority to you as my children. Revelation 19.1, John's experience. After these things I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, And glory and power belong to our God. Those are just a few. Go to the Psalms and read them 
and you'll read it over and over and over again, that they knew that God was not just real, but that God was a God of authority. Authority and power. Faith says, God, you're real, and that God, you have all authority to do whatever you choose to do, whenever you choose to do it. Last thing, faith is a, in our God is a statement of integrity. It is a statement of integrity. This is so important. Faith expresses our belief that God is real and that He is a God of authority and power who is able to do all things. But the next aspect of faith builds on the first two truths. God is also a God of integrity. He is, a, he is faithful to keep His word. He can be trusted. I'll tell you something. If God is real and God has all authority, but you can't trust God, you haven't got anything. If he, if he doesn't stand by His word, and he doesn't, He's not a God of integrity, you, you don't have anything. This is so very important that we believe what He says, and He'll be do, faithful to do what He says. The integrity of God involves the character of God. He is holy. He is loving. He is kind. He is merciful, but He is also faithful. Do you believe that what God says He will do, He will do? Do you believe that? That's where it comes down to it. I'm telling you, faith is all about that. Do you believe God, if God tells you He's going to do, do you believe God's going to do it? Yes. Well, that's what faith's all about. Whether or not you believe that God's going to do what He says He's going to do. How do you present God to people you know? Or how do you present God to the people that you know? Do, you see in you, do they see in you a person who believes that God will keep His promises, or do they see an anxious person who is not confident in God's faithfulness? A person is almost surprised when God answers and works. Think about that a minute, about your life. Well, how do people see, how do you present God? You, you present God, that, hey, God's going to do it. <laughs> he told me He's going to do it, He's going to do it, I'm waiting for Him to do it. Or it's like, well, I hope he'll do it. It'd be nice if he would. It'd be convenient if he'd take place. I, I, I'm really hoping that that'll happen. And, and then, it, and then it, it happens. Wow, can you believe it actually happened? Well, yeah, I, I was expecting it to happen. Why would you expect it? Because that's what he told me. <laughs> that's what he told me he was going to do. How do you present yourself and God to those people? A life of faith reveals that we believe God is a God of integrity. He will do what He promises. Here's some verses of Scripture, Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps His covenant and His loving kindness to a thousandth generation. Don't you love that? I mean, we've only been a country for a little over 200 years. We're talking a thousandth generation. Generations, it's 40 years in the Bible. That's 40,000 years. That's how long he's faithful. That's how long his faithfulness is. Wow, that's pretty good. That's worth coming for right there. All right. Thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, Paul to believers. 
Faithful is he who called you, he also will bring it to pass. Hebrews 11, 11, Sarah's life. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. A 90-year-old mother. Is that a miracle? Amen. <laughs> she considered him faithful who promised. Now, when, did, when she first got that word, did, did she sound like she is really faithful? Remember what she did? What would she do? She laughed. I'm telling you what, if Lynn came up and told me she is pregnant, we'd all laugh right now. She, she ain't 90 yet. All right, but, I mean, she laughed, but did she believe what God told her? Yes, she did. She believed it. All right, Revelation 19, 11, John's experience. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called, this is the Lord Jesus himself, faithful and true. Why? Yeah, man, we talk a picture of the, of the end of time. One of the things is going to be written about him. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful, and he's true. Here's some questions that are rhetorical questions for you to look at. Do you believe God is real? Then how does God being real cause you to respond differently in times of need? If you believe that he's real, how is your response in times of need different than somebody else? Two. Do you believe God is all-powerful and has all authority? Then how does your life reveal this fact when you face challenges or trials? Three, do you believe God is trustworthy and that He keeps His promises? Then how do you respond when God gives you a promise? You hide it. You go tell the world about it. You start thanking Him for it. How do you respond when God gives you a promise? Here's the point. As a person of faith, how you respond says more about what you believe about God than what you think about yourself. Let me read that again. As a person of faith, how you respond says more about what you believe about God than what you think about yourself. Do you believe he's real? Do you believe he has all authority? Do you believe he's faithful? Faith says yes to all those questions and makes us distinctly different than people of the world, our people who do not walk by faith. Amen? Amen. Have a good rest of the week. God bless you.